The Hale Varsity Radio Saturday Morning Show. Strap yourselves in. Here are your hosts, Chris Schmitz. Y'all don't even know he was a virgin until he's 28 and now roll tide. And Mark Cranach. Time has come for someone to put his foot down. And that foot is me. Welcome to it. Weekend editions here. It's Hale Varsity. We're presented by, well, Currency. And uh, we welcome in all of you this morning, a uh, glorious, sunny-filled Saturday in the great state of Nebraska. Chris Schmidt, Mark Cranach, Elijah Herbal. Before we uh, actually hit start, Cranach uh, slid in. And it's like, yeah. Cranach, you're, you're looking fit. You're looking good this morning. And Cranach just pauses. I'm looking fit? Yeah. Thank God you can't see anything from the chest down. My God. <laughs> We're going to just uh, say, I agree. Uh, and uh, yeah. uh, you know what? Uh, he says, go on, tell me more. Uh, how about yeah. what's happened in the last 24 hours of college football, the week that's been culminating with the expansion yet again of yep. the league Nebraska joined uh, a decade plus ago. You went from Hollywood now to the West Wing with Oregon and Washington uh, getting the invite, accepting the invite, and Twitter's been quite hilarious. Yeah, as and I'm starting staring. next year, too. Starting I know. I mean, it just yeah. it, it is fast-tracked and fast-forwarded. Yeah. I'm looking at a GIF right now where you've, <laughs> you've got like three folks on the top of a mountain, two folks are bundled up, one's the Big Ten, one's the Big 12, and they're pushing some poor guy – uh, strapped to a chair over the cliff with the Pac-12 logo on it. And uh, that's how many feel in the world of college football. A lot of national folks are bemoaning what's happening. It is unfortunately for some the way of the world. Money talks, TV contracts rule, and it's better to be in the club than trying to get in outside the velvet rope. You can join us today on Hale Varsity Weekend and jump in the stream. We always stream the Hale Varsity YouTube channel. You can also find us and watch a couple of different ways. The Hale Varsity Radio Twitter feed at HVarsity Radio, Facebook and Twitter for KFOR. Guys, uh, Elijah and I beat this up quite a bit yesterday. I'm smiling about it just because I think of incredible inventory. I think uh, matchups every Saturday that you're going to want to watch as a college football fan and specifically as a Nebraska fan, uh, you know, your, your big 10 neighbors by now, but the ability to have UCLA and USC on your schedule is going to be a lot of fun. It's games, you know, it's games you were extremely excited about as a Nebraska fan over the years in that non-conference realm. And you've added two more teams, more so Washington than Oregon, that you're familiar with. Same with UCLA. You've had a sprinkling of USC and Oregon in the last 17 years or so. And overall, uh, you're going to get a Rose Bowl matchup, potentially, about four to six times. Teams you've seen in the Rose Bowl uh, on January 1st at, at 3 p.m. Central. You're going to get that about four to six times uh, a season uh, when you see a, a USC, Ohio State, or a Penn State, Oregon, Nebraska, UCLA, Nebraska, SC, Nebraska, Washington. Cranach, interested because you have been the 
uh, vaunted world traveler for Nebraska. Been to Ireland. You have been to Blacksburg. You have been to a lot of these venues, man, over your years. And you've been out to Seattle. You've been to Oregon. You were out. Yeah, that's already a carry the one. <laughs> Eight years, six years, <laughs> sorry. Six years since Nebraska yeah. played out in Oregon in 2017. Yep. And, man, yeah. you've experienced a lot of what Nebraska fans are hoping to soon experience. Yeah, and then USC back in, God, I guess that was 06, 07. Um, that's another oh, one, too. That was 05, wasn't it? 05. Yeah. Uh, no, because 07. 06, 06 and then 07, they came in here and put and, Nebraska yeah. out like a cigarette. Yes, my fault. It, it yeah, pretty 06. much started started the end of Callahan. Right. Basically. Yeah. Um, yeah, and out of those locations, I mean, man, they're, they're great. I mean, you really have, just from a pure travel standpoint, because like the way <laughs> we try to approach it, as you're as you're going to see with Minneapolis coming up in a, about a month or so, is you go to a cool destination. Yes, you go to the game, but it's really about you know you get to hang out in a, in a cool part of the country that you otherwise wouldn't go to, right? right? And then on game day, it's all game day, and like let's go. But uh, man, Eugene, Oregon, that place is a trip. Uh, it's hilarious. It's it's got really good breweries. It has like. You know, like the Dundee neighborhood, or I guess in Lincoln, it would, what would the equivalent of Dundee be in Lincoln? It would be like, uh, you know, like kind of the country uh, club area. Yeah, 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 around there, right? Just yeah. so imagine that, but a, a brewery tucked right into it, like into the residential area or a head shop because it's legal there. That's the other <laughs> thing, by the way. That's the other thing, by the way, is that all these additions, all these additions to the Big Ten. Weed is legal <laughs> and other things. Oregon, they legalize, they decriminalize everything. So uh-huh. you could go out, do some smack, and then watch, <laughs> you know, you could watch the Huskers play after that. If, if you know, if they're not getting it done, that's what floats your boat. And you're good. Don't do smack, kids. <laughs> yeah, you shouldn't. Uh, no, but awesome location. <laughs> you, can, you can fly into Portland, and it's maybe two hours from there. Uh and then the coastline of Oregon is just it's ridiculous. Where they shot then, Goonies. Yeah, and then Seattle. And, you know, the the Washington Stadium gets a lot of <clears throat> a lot of praise for being one of the louder places in America. It's beautiful. And, I mean, you've got that. that yeah. Is it an ocean or is it kind of, it's, I mean, is it the Lake, ocean? Lake Washington. Lake Washington, okay. From what I understand, I think. Don't, you know, I'm not some, I don't know, oceanographer over here. Right. <laughs> no. No, no, estoy Cristo Colombo. I, I don't know, but I think it's like Washington, and you can sail right up to it, and it's one of those places. It, it's it feels like an overgrown high school stadium because it has just the the really stark levels. It's not like curved and architected. It's just you know, straight up stands straight up. Gets pretty loud. Um, so from that standpoint, man, Nebraska fans compared to West Lafayette and Bloomington. And I haven't been to East either of those. Lansing, going to East La- we're going to East Lansing this year. And, oh, God, Champaign. Yeah. Iowa City. Champaign like, at least sells, sells, Champagne sells Dos Equis. Not smack, but, you know. No, no, they're working on it, though. It, it, we'll see. Um, well, they, you, I mean, they, they, they sell smack anywhere. They're not done That's either. the thing. You can find smack anywhere if you look hard enough. 
<laughs> is that right, Elijah? I had no idea. Elijah coming in. I was wondering why you, how you kept so thin. Now we know. It's metabolism at age 24. I love it. Guys, what's this mean for Nebraska? Let's tackle that out of the gate. And are you excited? There's, there, there's no doubt optimism and there's feel good right now with, with new. And you have Matt Rule who said all the right things and Sounds like training camp, they're doing the right things, and you've got a chance to to get back off the mat if you're Nebraska. And, and guys, you need to get off the mat, figure out what's going to work here and now in the 2023 Big Ten because it's not going to get any easier, let alone dealing with the teams that you're trying to compete with and, and reclaim wins against that are your neighbors your Iowas, your, your Wisconsin's, your Minnesota's, just where your life is in the West right now. It's been a struggle the last few years. And then you zoom out and you're going to have that home game or that road game against elite, elite talent with what UCUSC's been doing. And, uh, of course, Oregon has been a, a brand for the last 15 years with high-level recruiting. And Kalen DeBoer. I mean, Kalen DeBoer's – a guy I got to see about three times in a stretch when I was doing Nebraska Westland games because I think it was <sighs> University of Sioux Falls is where he was at. He was the head coach mm-hmm. there, and his record there was obscene. It was Urban Meyer-like. We're talking 101 wins and 10 losses. I don't have it exactly in front of me, mm-hmm. but that's how good he was to get tapped to go to to, to Fresno State and then to Indiana and then back to back to Fresno and then jump to Washington and let's bring Michael Penix with me that I found and developed when Indiana had their great year. So you've got, again, more elite coaches, fantastic talent, and Nebraska needs to be able to uh, compete and beat that, and that's the, the task. We're getting ahead of ourselves because, you know, we've got a season in front of us now realignment ruled the day yesterday and Schmitty, i've done the research here DeBoer, while at sioux falls 67 and three overall okay Ur- so Urban i was Meyer-like. i was off with the century mark but i was pretty much right on with the winning percentage yep and uh <laughs> if you add in fresno state is two years there a uh, record of 79 and nine before he left uh, and that is nuts that is absolutely bonkers uh but yeah Schmitty, <laughs> within the past 12 hours since our show yesterday i've kind of uh, and based on just kind of how you laid it out there, I think we're kind of feeling the same way, which is yesterday you're excited for the opportunity. You're excited for what the Big Ten can become, what the conference is going to be. And then 12 hours later, you, you sit back and you go, oh, boy, is there some competition in the Big Ten, too, though, whenever you think about what, like, mm-hmm. I mean, you might go Michigan, USC, Oregon, back-to-back-to-back weeks in the Big Ten. That's not going to be one of those things that's rare moving forward to get three helmet games back-to-back-to-back. Maybe get a bye week in there if you're lucky, but that's what the Big Ten's going to become. It's uh, not many off weeks, especially when you think about potential for expanded conference play, which I think is going to be likely moving forward. Oh, man, is your schedule going to be a murderer's row? We talked about 2024 and 2025 when that schedule was, was released. Yeah, it's not getting any easier moving forward, and, and that's no. that's... On one hand, you can be excited for the opportunity if you're Matt Rule, the Husker coaching staff, and even as a Husker fan, the the teams that are going to be coming to Lincoln and the night games you're going to get to see at Memorial Stadium. 
I think you can be excited for that while also being nervous for what what this can be for Nebraska if Matt Rule doesn't get things turned around and get some momentum going in year one. You, you wonder about how long this process can be. And yeah, Nebraska's well positioned being in the Big Ten, but how important is it to be in the Big Ten if you can't get something rolling, get some success going? It, it's it becomes a a an unenviable situation very quickly if Nebraska can't get some wins rolling in this new conference format. Well, and if you look at, I mean, you got 18 teams now and just how competitive most of them are. I mean, you'd have to classify them as at least competitive. Even Nebraska in the down years has been pretty competitive. (laughs) It's not like they're easy out necessarily, even in that 2021 year especially. And I I can't help but think it's going to – it could turn into an NFL-like situation where – your best team still has a loss or two. I just just imagine how special of a season or how lucky of a schedule you are going to have to have to run the table in that conference. There's no such thing as running the table anymore. It's well, I mean, it'll it'll be saved for the very very special seasons. We're going to move closer to that NFL format where you know any given yeah. Sunday running the table is going to be very very special moving forward in the Big Ten. That's going to be a weird mentality. A, an eighteen's a weird number. I they ain't done. I, I don't I don't think I don't think it stays there. Mm-mm. And by by twenty twenty four, which is you know. It, FSU is making a lot of noise in the ACC right now, but the ACC has got everybody locked up through 2036. So there's some serious lawyering that's going to have to happen in there. And there, but there's even talk that FSU and like, you can do a, you can buy out of your, out of your deal there, but you got, I mean, you have to pay a lot in excess of a hundred million dollars. Yeah. 2035. Yeah. They're, they're looking into private equity. (laughs) <laughs> yep <laughs> seriously they're looking right they're looking into private equity firms to fund it to be able you know so then you can finance it and and get out but you know the i think the writing's on the wall for the acc so those dominoes are i'd be surprised if they didn't drop i i would be surprised if they dropped like during the season yeah but timing wise they might have to right because the big 12 has done a pretty good job Surprisingly, just getting off the damn mat. Speaking of getting Staying off alive, the mat, oh, dude, they jump off the mat. They've salvaged themselves somehow, and like, yeah, the Pac-12 is going to disintegrate. ACC seems like it's next. We'll see where we go. Uh, we bring in Brandon Vogel as he joins us at Brandon Vogel on Twitter. He's uh, hunkered down in his football office. Vogue's realignment, the theme this morning, from the Hollywood to the West Wing. As Washington and Oregon uh, now joining the Big Ten, Cranach's been there. I know you have traveled out and covered Nebraska games at both spots, and interested to get your response from a macro and a micro standpoint. The effect on Nebraska, uh, any twinge of sadness for you with the uh, result of, of where the Pac-12 is right now? Any eulogy words? Uh, yeah, I mean, I definitely think it's it's sad from just a like national college football perspective. Um, I mean, that was the conference of the West Coast, and sure, it hadn't its football fortunes, I guess, <clears throat> hadn't been hadn't been the best. I mean, uh, the Big Ten added USC and UCLA, and everybody's mind kind of instantly went to Oregon and Washington. Um, 
And it, it took a little longer than I think expected and kind of happened under very strange circumstances. But the Big Ten finally added some some Pac-12 teams that have made a playoff now. Um, so that's nice, <laughs> even though the, the L.A. schools were the, the big ticket item, I suppose. Yeah. But, like, it's just – it's it's crazy how quickly this this fell apart. It's it's like a, a, a panic – Panic buying, panic selling. I'm not sure. It depends on which side of the perspective you're on or which side of the transaction you're on, I guess. But a conference that's been around for a long, long time is basically just gone effectively um, overnight. And, you know, credit to the Big Ten for for getting Oregon and Washington. Like, those are strong additions that I think, you know, make a good deal of sense pretty instantly to, to everyone. But, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll mourn the Pac-12 a little bit, a conference that, you know, I had no direct connection to. I just liked <laughs> liked uh, college football kind of the way that it was when it was very much a regional sport. You know, and that's, it's, it's funny you mentioned that, Brandon. It's like I kind of saw it as like a foregone conclusion. I've been preparing myself for this inevitability for a while, I guess. Um, but to your point, yeah, the, the regional aspect – it, you know, it's it's one thing to stereotype, like yeah, West Coast they're soft, and uh, all, all they do is throw the ball around. They don't play defense. They're fast. What what what's funny about it though is that it's like everybody kind of does live up to their those general not everybody, but you, they do kind of generally live up to those stereotypes. And so it's a huge. It takes an outlier like a Pete Carroll to come in, and install this super physical nature. Washington had that for for a couple years, but truly there were. They play a very different brand of football collectively uh, compared to the rest of the country. Do you think that leaves now that a lot of those teams are coming here? Or does that style just kind of come to the conference? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, And I guess, you know, maybe Nebraska is a pretty good case study because it's been through so much change like – I don't know if you would have described Nebraska's style as classically Big 12 at the point that it left that conference, but it certainly wasn't classically Big 10, and we haven't seen it be classically Big 10 really to to this point. So there's there's kind of an argument there for like, yeah, maybe the like you know regional quirks of of college football programs do sort of remain in place. Um, because in, in another part of this is as college football has moved into its spread era, like some of these teams, like Oregon had a definable identity, you know, yep. uh, certainly with, with Chip Kelly. But some of these teams are in just variations of much the same type of offense, yet still, um, and they're pulling coaches from all over the country, yet still you kind of had those things where like, yeah, well, if, if you – if I were to list you like three traits and say this team is from what conference, you probably would be able to, with decent enough accuracy, say that's probably a Big Ten team or that's probably a Pac-12 team. Um, so it's interesting. Uh, I, I do think there is some kind of residual regional regionalness uh, to these programs, no matter what conference they're in. Brandon, I, th- I think the best way to phrase this 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 brief topic of conversation here is. Is the Big Ten going to have to adjust to Washington and Oregon? <laughs> yeah. um, it's top rope, or, uh, 8-10 Central Standard Time. Um, no, uh, I don't really think the Big Ten has had to adjust to any of the new members it's added so far. Uh, 
It didn't really with Penn State, though that one was, you know, made the most sense. Uh, it hasn't had to adjust to Nebraska, and certainly not Maryland or Rutgers at this point. So it's going to be it's going to be interesting, you know. Before before the Oregon Washington news yesterday, I know we've talked about kind of Lincoln Riley and USC in the past, and he's got them on a on a pretty good track. But then, do you go back to so? Let's say USC has another like ten and two, or maybe even better year this year. Um, that's where they're coming into the Big Ten at. Well, at that point, like Lincoln Riley's kind of Lincoln Riley, Oklahoma. He's got things up to that level again. But then you go back to well, why couldn't Oklahoma get over the hump in the playoffs? You know, you face these physical defenses, et cetera, et cetera. So it'll it'll be interesting. Um, but I, I do not think uh, I think the onus is on the newcomers still. Yeah. Brandon Vogel with us here this morning, weekend edition of Hale Varsity. So Vogue's going to switch from the expansion to uh, week one of fall camp. Nebraska uh, has been through it, and uh, they're going to continue to grind away takeaways here from Nebraska's first week. Anything stick out to you from either of the coordinators or any of the players? I know we had fun talking about that running back room the guy versus the committee earlier this week and, and also just some of the uh, the sights we, we've been able to see after practice and that is just the the, the makeover uh, body-wise with some of the defensive linemen. Yeah, I think that was maybe the biggest one and, you know, I think it was Terrence Knighton who was talking about it uh, during the week about just – how body body types have changed. Uh, I think you basically put it as their their big guys got a little bit smaller and their small guys got a little bit bigger. Um, and, and you kind of pair that up with something that Satterfield said about you know they're looking for positionless football. I was actually watching that South Carolina Tennessee game from last year yesterday, which is kind of like uh, the lead item I think on, on Satterfield's resume and. I don't know why I hadn't thought of it or hadn't clicked with me before, but like when, when Satterfield says we're going to run a pro style offense, like he's not talking Bill Callahan. He's talking, talking about like today's pro style offense. Like mm. it was very, it felt to me very kind of Kansas city chiefs, maybe not as much, you know, okay. fun and frivolity as, as we see from the chiefs sometimes, but there were a lot of, a lot of handoffs to, to slot, slot receivers, uh, wide receiver pass, a lot of different, um, formations and and it worked it knocked tennessee out of out of playoff contention essentially now granted that was one game and that offense wasn't like humming along all season but um so i I remain excited for for the offense at this point it's been a pretty quiet i would describe it as as fall camp which is the only thing you ever want you want the quietest fall camp possible um and you made it through six days so far so so hopefully they can keep that going is Mike Riley's offense what we thought it was coming in? Is that a good comp? Because that was yeah, pro maybe. style, but a lot of end arounds, a lot of handoffs to. Flop. Yeah, I, I think I think so. You know, and I think really anything where where you see where the NFL has been influenced by the college game, which for like most of the sports history, like it yeah, that was a one way street. Things didn't go that way. Like things came down from the NFL, um, but you know nobody was running option. It was running, you know, so. Um, that's, that's kind of been a new development and it, it kind of goes to, I mean, I, maybe there's a broader topic here that's, that's not for right now, but it's, it's a little bit of analytics and the optimization of football as, you know, 
a lot of colleges run a very similar concepts. You know, there are less definable. Well, they run the option and they run a wishbone, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Same thing's kind of happening in the NFL. It's just because it's like, well, these are the plays and these are the formations and these are the things that kind of create the the optimum upside. So that's where you go. It's interesting you say that. I, I kind of, I, I think Oregon had a lot to do with that. They were they were the extreme, right? They were the edge case. Nobody went to that level, but it did show people. And I th- I'm surprised at how quickly that trickled down to the high school level, even in even in places like conservative football, Omaha, you know, mid 2000s, everybody's running the pistol, right? It just, it, it really did change. I think that's probably why the, the NFL almost had to adapt because all the best players coming through, dude, they ran pistol. They ran shotgun. They ran spread. They didn't know how to do the Tom Brady under center stuff. Like, they, just, they just don't know how to do it. So like the NFL was forced to adapt, and you could trace that probably back to Oregon, which is pretty crazy. No, I, I mean I think there's a pretty direct through line there because you know, and I remember like I'm not a huge NFL draft follower, but you know when when Tom Brady's still the best quarterback in the game, or at least one of the top two or three at 42 years old, you know people start asking, well, where are all the quarterbacks? And then people start realizing, well, a lot of these guys in high school were never under center depending on which college program they went to were never under center um so it kind of created a, a little bit of an issue there and now you know i think somebody like patrick mahomes of course represents a full like new era for for nfl football in terms of what they're what they're doing offensively and what kind of guy you want you want behind center in that game Brandon Vogel with us here, a weekend edition of, of Hale Varsity. Whenever you mention that Chiefs offense, and I, I think about Marcus Satterfield's campaign, uh, his, his personal crusade, I think is what he called it for the huddle. You think about that ring around the rosy moment from the Chiefs, and I, I still get angry thinking about that, uh, the Chiefs and how they've run through the AFC West. But I, I wonder if there's any ring around the rosy moments for this Husker offense next season. um i I hope we get one um but i I guess i'll be surprised if if we end up i mean the huddle thing's interesting you know it came out so strong with that um and we'll we'll see how much nebraska if it if it truly is an every down thing like you've got to use tempo i mean i think that's the other lesson is like oregon recognized the edge of, of going that fast um earliest and other teams have sped up but now so many teams have gotten to the point where they can do that that I think there, there is an advantage to being able to just maybe do both, um, to be able to slow the game down when you want to um, because it's, it's just going fast isn't the edge that it once was. Bogues, I want to get your thoughts on Nebraska's safety spot. You're running a three-three-five. That three-three-five had a 11-game starter in Miles Farmer, Miles Farmer in the portal, and your reaction to the bodies available for Mr. White and that defense and how big of an impact you think the departure is? Um, I mean, I, I liked Miles Farmer a lot as a player. I liked him a lot as a recruit. Um, hmm. 
And I, you know, finally in this past season, you know, felt like he was approaching the point where, where I thought he could be, which, you know, I thought coming out of high school, he was a solid, like three, three year contributor, probably a starter, which was where he was and where he was headed. Um, so, you know, that, that's always going to sting a little bit. That said, with this being a year one scenario, um, we could say Nebraska had four, well, really five, if you throw Griffin in there, uh, starters returning in the secondary. I was never totally sure, or at least I never heard enough from the coaches through spring and now to think that, well, those are your five. Like, I feel like there was still right. some jockeying to be done. So this kind of, like, it wasn't like that was in ink necessarily. I'm not sure anybody's in ink at this point. And you look at, you know, two guys come to mind immediately for me, Omar Brown. He's another guy who I liked a lot coming from northern northern Iowa um, and really kind of haven't seen as much as I, I thought maybe, you know, his, his ceiling allowed for but there's still time. And now maybe there's even a better opportunity. Um, Singleton, another guy who like physically really impressive, really intriguing. Um, that said, neither of them were playing that spot over farmer before, but that's one where I think, you know, a scheme switch and, and kind of a, a mentality switch might, might help those things. So we're kind of uh, entering some shifting positions, but I think we might've been entering it midstream anyway. Uh, took the boy to Fan Day last weekend, All and right. uh, they they moved that inside to the cook, which was nice. So you weren't baking out in the on the turf. Um, really good turnout, of course. And the only the only lines we got through were uh, wide receiver and DB. And just a couple observations for for what they're worth, and love to you know hear any kind of comments based on that. But I, I was struck by especially on the DB line, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but <clears throat> how many just scholarships are allocated to defensive backs? I just remember going through those lines before and I'm, I'm guesstimating here, but it was sort of like you had like a dozen or so scholarship guys and like 10 to 12 walk-ons. Uh, you probably have 18 scholarship guys um, in, in the DB room. Just, and they kind of fit a certain athletic profile. You got some impressive looking players there. Um, Tommy Hill, by the way, who I, I was not, uh, <laughs> I, we've talked about it on, on the show, but you know, I, I think the biggest reason why he didn't play before was that he just didn't appear to like be interested in tech. He made business decisions when it came to tackle, basically, <laughs> you know, but physically up close, he sticks out. He stands out amongst all those other scholarship DBs. He is physically, he's really well put together. And then I saw something similar on the receiver in the, on the receiving line, right? Like there were just, it just feels like you have more actual scholarship guys. And maybe that's, you know, it's through attrition and transfer portal, whatever else. But I, I don't know. It just feels like overall the constitution of the team is much, much less reliant on walk-ons than it has been in a, in a really long time. There's still walk-ons, but they just don't seem as dependent on it. And you would think that could lead to just better production across the board, better competition across the board. And I'll tell you, physically, Nebraska is not wanting for anything. They, they, they have the bodies, they have the range of, of sizes that you would want. Um, it's it's overall a pretty impressive kind of 
skill group between those two. 18 scholarships before the departure of Miles Farmer. Think about uh, that, man. Is, think is think about number. that. And you're only going to have five on the field at once. That's yeah. 13 but, scholarship players that ain't on the field. Like, that's that's serious competition. Well, right let, let's not pull a Scott Frost and forget about special teams here. That's Defensive true. backs, key contributors in the, in the special teams room. Yeah, sure. That's a very good point. Thanks, but Elijah. With the, with the scholarship options, I mean, I – Vogues, get your thought on this. I think Nebraska is going to be hell-bent on, on the, the depth part of things. I mean, that's what rules talked about. You're going to need that in, in all spots. So you may have your, your, your key five, but you're going to have five guys as those two deep guys, and they'll need to be able to, to handle their business like the starters would be. I'm interested in a Corey Collier. Uh, the, kid, the kid out of Florida uh, that, that was a high-level recruit. I, I like the mention of Singleton. Uh, you wonder uh, about a guy uh, in, in Kobe Bretts. I mean, he's kind of that that hybrid body type from West Side that I'm excited about. So you'll need to be able to to do well in man coverage, but also uh, not be a liability as a run stopper if you're in that safety spot. I mean, it all kind of morphs into one, even though they're specific positions and jobs. 11 scholarship receivers, by the way, just counted it up. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, numbers are always going to be a little bit heavier at those two spots. You know, you look at, um, depending on which kind of defense you're running, but three, three, five, um, you've got two more DBs quote unquote on the field than either other level. Um, wide receivers, you know, uh, if you if you don't use a ton of tight end, which Nebraska will, you know, you're getting three, sometimes four of those guys on the field at the same time. And, and the other part of it is, is I think, um, you know, if you're a power five level football recruit who's, say, 6'1 and 180 pounds, what are you? You're, well, you're probably a wide receiver or defensive back. <laughs> um, and those guys can come in and, you know, it become tight ends, become linebackers, etc. So the, the key thing I think where Nebraska needs to get to is okay, they've got 18 scholarship DBs, um, and we can run through the names and, and talk about what what has to happen, what can't happen, um, or, or what needs you know can't happen right now. You really got to get to a point where you've got a little bit of a succession and, and the distribution of those 18 scholarships right now we can look at, you know, the four remaining starters and be like, okay, you feel pretty good. And then at that point we're talking about somebody like Singleton who we haven't seen a ton of or Corey Collier who didn't play a ton beyond special teams of Florida. Omar Brown hasn't found a consistent time. So you really want to get to a place where there's, there just seems like a little bit more of a natural succession um, that said, it's tough. I mean, really what you need is for guys to develop and become really good and then leave early for the NFL. Like, it's bad <laughs> at the moment, but it's good for you long term, uh, I think, on multiple fronts. Brandon, what do you think Nebraska needs uh, from a play standpoint from that defensive back room this year? They, they lost an experienced guy in Miles Farmer. I think the Husker coaching staff feels good about some of those guys that they have waiting in the wings, guys that can step up. What do you think Nebraska needs from a, a play point of view? Because it's kind of hard to, to quantify in metrics uh, what a, a defensive backroom is whenever it's 
it's elite whenever it's very good. The, the metrics are hard to quantify, but you can see it based on the eye test, what, at least in my opinion. So what, what do you want to see from that defensive backroom here in year one under rule? Charles Woodson? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I think you. I think you take that if the if you got one of those those walking around. Um, well, here's one where I think the farmer departure in particular has the potential to, to sting a little bit um, long term. Is okay three three five. We know it's going to shape. It's going to morph. They're going to be very creative and, and move things around, but. At a base level, that's that's a six man box, which it's rarely going to be that mm -hmm. in practice. But you, you're going to need those those defensive backs to tackle. They're five month field, you, you know. It's it's almost half of your defense. Miles Farmer, the second on the team in tackles, like he was your kind of low safety. Um, so that's going to be, I think, point number one. I think with a defense that so at Syracuse, Tony White had a pretty high blitz rate um, at least last year. Um, so you're going to try and be creative and put pressure on people. Like if you want to talk about a metric that uh, I like for, for kind of the secondary, it's just pass breakups or passes defended, which includes interceptions. Like the only way to consistently like increase your takeaways via interception is just get, get your hand on the ball. And, and it's fairly consistent, right? Like 20% of your passes defended should be interceptions. So if you get, you know, 50 of those that that's 10 interceptions if you only got 30 then um well i should have picked a better number because i can't do the 20 percent <laughs> in my head but six there it is wow i was fast there's a reason none of us were math majors but i was impressively quick for not being a math major I'll tell you what last thought vogues we'll get you out where would you put kalen DeBoer if you had to place him right now on your uh, your list of Big Ten coaches, where would you rank him? Yeah, it's it's still a little bit early, but I've liked a lot him early. Little, Sorry, I've liked him for a long time. In fact, like at, you know, before you know, before knowing you know what we've come to know about Matt Rule over the past eight months, or even knowing if Nebraska could get him, like when I sat back and looked at it, my kind of like who's who's one of the best potential gifts Nebraska could could land and DeBoer was up there and you know, and that's largely based on projection. Um, they had a great first year at Washington. I think walked into a situation that was complicated with what happened to Jimmy Lake, the former head coach there, but maybe wasn't as bad as their results that, that Jimmy Lake season. And, you know, he got a quarterback he was familiar with, but you look <laughs> back to what Indiana has been, you know, post DeBoer's departure and what he did at Fresno State, um, and then, you know, at, at Sioux Falls. So, like, there was there was kind of, I know that's that's not it's not Nebraska, but it's it's pretty darn close. So he's a, he's a Midwest guy. He, he, I mean, he definitely I would put him in the top half of the Big Ten coaches. You know, mm -hmm. going into twenty twenty four, and and we'll see what Washington's able to do this year. This will be you know this will be a tougher challenge because now they're expected to be good. Um, but I think they will be. Well, they go to East Lansing this year, so you're going to get a preview potentially of, of how they match up with a kind of a throwback, gritty, traditional Big Ten team. Vogues, enjoy your weekend. You putting anything on the smoker? Uh, I haven't decided yet. It's actually a, it's relatively cool here for, for what it has been, so it might be the day. I might even get something figured out.
Okay. Well, send it. Send a pick. All right. Well, thanks, Big guys. Cut. There he is, Brandon Vogel, with us. We bring in uh, the Iron Horse, Gary. You had transition. Perfect timing. I know, right? Sharply, there was... Usually, there's a crossover, but this time it's like Brandon on the way out. Gary steps in. Good coordination between the two. It's excellent. We uh, we had some foreshadowing here in the Schmidt household this week uh, that the and... big that the Pac-12 was going to implode. No, that the, oh. the Huskies were coming to town, and <laughs> Junior jumped on the table. We have two dogs that you hear and sometimes see one of them, but yeah. there was a chance to adopt a five-month-old Husky named Moses. Um, and uh, I got some Husky intel for you. I have some yeah, Husky well, intel. Well, uh, the mama bear said <laughs> both of you can move out if you do adopt him. So uh, <laughs> good he idea. Has been adopted by a different family. Good but, idea. Yeah, he was he was all about bringing a husky to to the to the Schmidt house, said Rudolph. So uh, we yeah. we passed on that, and you fast forward forty eight hours. Hey, two new roommates, Sharpie, with uh, the Big Ten. Yeah, you know, I mean, this is uh, Kevin Warren wanted this last year, and the Big Ten presidents kind of stood in his way. And you know, at the time, the Pac twelve wasn't imploding like it was now. And you know, the Pac twelve, I mean, the Pac twelve lost five teams in a span of a day. <laughs> and Jesus. all of a sudden, the Big Ten got to 18. I mean, it's it's not for everyone. I'm sure not everybody was celebrating yesterday. If you love college football and the fabric, but we know it's changed. We're we're at the end of the day, we're going to get the best brands. We're going to get the best games. And if you're Nebraska, you thank your lucky stars that over a decade ago you saw the writing on the wall and got out of a league and got to another league that has given you financial stability and stability where you don't have to worry where the Big Ten is going. Yeah. Real quick on Huskies, little intel on them. <laughs> I have a dog trainer friend, and uh-huh. uh, she says, okay, one, they're, they're, I mean, they're great pet. They're, you know, beautiful. They're awesome. Yeah. Obviously. But the, the amount of shedding they do is unparalleled. Yep. I mean, it's I just that. like you live with that hair long after they're gone. Like it's, it's, it gets in everything. And then two, because of their makeup genetically or otherwise, she's like, you ever notice like whenever it's like a missing dog sign, like half the time it's a Husky because when they leave, they, they don't need you. They're just like, I'm out. Like, they're just like, wow. you know, it's not that they're disloyal. It's just that they're suited to like be wolves. And so they're just out. Uh, so it's a good thing you didn't get it. You're setting yourself up for sadness later. Yeah. Uh, which, is, which is good. Um, Anyway, setting ourselves uh, up for sadness thank you yes yeah it, it, it would have left it, it would have ran away can i just throw in there actually with all seriousness i have a dog on the loose right now in northeast lincoln oh, no. so if you see any dogs on the loose in northeast lincoln probably well it's oh, not no. it's my roommates technically uh the dog's name is wyoming new dog on the run right now so if you're in northeast lincoln and you see a dog on the run give elijah herbal a call it's probably mine can we describe it yeah oh, you gotta describe a miniature aussie shepherd so it's, oh, uh, God, it's those things are white and orange, boundless energy, white, orange, and much faster than me, as I found out yesterday. So that dog is somewhere in Northeast Lincoln. If you see it, give me a call would be much appreciated. Uh, my roommate's number is also on the tag. So that's that's my aside it, for dogs on the loose. Anything. Another thing my dog trainer friend talked about anything that ends in shepherd. It needs a job. If it doesn't uh-huh. have a job, that thing's on the move. Mm-hmm. So like, yep. you said Northeast Lincoln could be in mead by now like it's <laughs> doing something it's wow 
That's a, it's, that's it's, a trip. It's, it's bellying up for a little safety meeting at, at, uh, in Havelock, uh, possibly. Yeah. Uh, what was the quote in Billy Madison? You get off your ass and you find that bleeping dog, Elijah. I, I think that's what <laughs> rings through during story time. Sharpie, what's your takeaway this week from, from practice? Do uh, you like what you're hearing from Nebraska? Hey, my takeaway is that I did not know that Krennic was Caesar Milan, who is a famous dog trainer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What, yeah. What, 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 I train people. Put the, put the football <laughs> stuff aside. Let's talk about the knowledge of dogs by Mark Krennic. I, I mean, rehabilitate dogs. I train people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, you know what? It's, uh, I, I think going back to last Friday, it's kind of been an insight into how Matt Rule is going to operate. Basically, it's do your job. And he doesn't like stuff to linger. He handles stuff in a professional way, doesn't throw guys under the bus. You can sense his disappointment uh, this week in a couple of moves that he had to make. But I, I think you start early, you set the standards. And, you know, if somebody doesn't want to adhere to those standards, you don't completely just run them over. You understand their situation, but you have a program to run. And I, I think we've seen that. You know, I, I think also, and we'll hear from Rule later this morning, it's been a good week. I mean, it's, it's tough to read into things. I like the idea of running two practices simultaneously. You know, Mike Riley kind of did that. Um, it got a guys a lot of reps. It probably got guys, man, they probably slept in on Thursday in the dorms because they went three straight days with that. So we'll see. I, I think once you get past the first week, then things start to settle in. But I'll be curious to hear Rule's tone after the first week. You know, he doesn't get too high, doesn't get too low. But if you ask a good question, you get a good response. So I'm, I'm curious to see his body language and his response to how this first week went. And some of the guys that need to step up, did they step up? One of those guys, and he's probably occupied maybe 20 seconds of, of our airwaves over the last few years on the show, but uh, kind of a forgotten one, Ruquan Buckley. Mm. Yep. Right? And, and if you look at his trajectory, this will be year three for him which traditionally that's how long it takes a quality offensive or defensive lineman in a developmental program to even get a sniff of playing time. Do you think that's a guy that will figure into the rotation? You, you got Hupmacher, you got Ty Robinson. Those are kind of the bigs that you can semi count on. Is Ruquan in that mix? Um, he's in the seven to nine. I think they're going to play seven to nine guys. And, you know, the thing why we didn't hear about him, he's young. Um, yeah. You know, he is – Has he? I don't think he's turned 19 yet. No, so he's, he's 17 gro- when he got here, right? Yeah, he, yeah, he's growing into his body. By the way, this week it has been very noticeable how guys' body composition is a lot different. Like, wait till you – you know, Teddy Prohaska looks really, really lean for 6'10", mm-hmm. 330. Ben Scott, <laughs> ben Scott in the spring, I thought he had like a baby face, and he's about 310. And he's up there on the podium the other day, and I'm like, wow, that's a chiseled face now. And you look at other guys like Corcoran and some of the defensive linemen like Hutmacher and then Buckley, their bodies definitely look different, like they've been reportioned. Hmm. I think Buckley is in the mix to play and be part of that rotation. I think they really want him, Mark, to make a step forward. I think they believe in him. It's just he was really, really young coming into college and playing that position. I mean, there are some grown men that are in the trenches. And if you're still a little kid, man, you are in trouble. So I think he's going to be one of the guys that are in there. But, you know, they're trying to coach themselves into options on the defensive line. I, I think Hutmacher is one of those guys that has to have a quick start. Because if he starts quick and him and Gunnarsson start quick and Robinson, 
then that alleviates some of the concerns that you have. But they're going to definitely get to seven or nine guys that they want to play by the end of the year. Yeah. It's Gary Sharp with us here, a weekend edition of Hale Varsity. And Gary, whenever you, you talk about the trenches and that, that body composition, I want to focus in on the offensive line here. Ethan Piper is the guy that we talked to at Big Ten Media Days. And I think you can notice the, the change in body composition with him. But yep. what is the, the, still the main concern with the offensive line with me is that depth factor. Whenever you talk about the Big Ten and the, the grind that that Big Ten season is. And you hear good things about, yeah, this offensive line's developing under Coach Ryle in year two. They're, they're looking a lot different. The body composition's changed. But how worrisome is that depth piece to you whenever you talk about the offensive line? Because, I mean, based on what we saw in the spring, I know some guys come back from injury. Like, Gunnar Gatula could be a guy that gets relied upon this season if things don't yeah. go your way in the injury department. Is that still a concern to you now a week into fall yeah. camp? I, I think, and, that, and that's going to be a concern for a while, Elijah. You know this. You've talked about it on air with Schmitty, is – they would love to have to get to seven to eight guys. I mean, I think there's probably six guys right now they can definitely count on, but they're asking guys to make a step forward. I think it's next week is a week to listen closely to offensive linemen that are not in your starting five that are mentioned mm. because a couple of guys that are completely off the radar, um, what Dylan Parrott, I mean, yeah. who's that guy? But he gets mentioned quite a bit. So early this, by yeah, rule, too. Yeah, this is, a, this is a week to listen to guys that – you know, are not the Prohaskas to the Scots to the Noellis to the Pipers to the Corcorans to the Benharts to see who else is out there. But, you know, I, I think there's some of those guys in the back part of the offensive line that we've been waiting on. I mean, Latovsky, we, we like him. He's one of the stronger guys on the roster. But at some point, you got to make a push to play. Um, so I think this is upcoming as a big week for Nebraska. I think this is a big transition week when they start on Monday because they're going to be in full pads. And now you start to separate some guys and they'll start to make decisions on, okay, what group are you going to be with? Because when they turn the corner for two weeks from the now, then they got to start thinking about Minnesota. They got to start gearing up for, for, you know, how's it going to look when they get to game week. So this upcoming week, I think is big for offensive linemen. Gary Sharp joining us weekend edition. It's Hale Varsity. Sharpie, uh, I want to go to the running backs and, uh, spend some time there. We had a chance to hear from Gabe Irvin, uh, Ramir Johnson as well. It's pretty fascinating to, to think about Nebraska's options. You've, you heard good things from E.J. Barthel as well, and he made it clear that they're not ready to even talk starters. But it sounds like he, he was happy with the starting point and the progress. And do you like, uh, from the onset here, do you like Nebraska's options at running back? I do. But isn't it amazing, guys? We – we finally heard about Anthony Grant. <laughs> we, we talk about Anthony Grant being co-number one, but boy, his name hasn't really come up much. Outside of he was suspended at the beginning of spring, and, you know, they said, hey, Anthony, you got to do this, this, and this. And he said, I got it, coach, and he was quickly back. But you really have not heard anybody talk about him. I think us in the media and the fan base have talked more about Anthony Grant. Now we know why. Because it, it appears to me, and I could be wrong, guys, maybe I'm reading too much into what Coach uh, Barthel said the other day, is they are redoing Anthony Grant. There is no doubt. When Anthony no. Grant gets to the second level, man, he's dangerous. But what's the issue with Anthony Grant last year? The first level. He no. couldn't handle the first level. So no. it sounds to me that they are reworking him to make him a full-scale running back. And if that happens... Man, if 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 they're what they're betting on Irvin and he comes through, 
I love that combo. And then you throw in Ramir, who Ramir looks great at 190. And he's like, yeah. people are going, why are you still here? You are, you might be, you're lied to, but yet you keep, you keep here. I mean, there's a guy that I think will have 30 catches this year. So yes, sure. I, mm. I like that trio. And you know, we've always clamored um, for bell cows and the number one running back. College football is going this way of a two-headed running back, especially in the Big Ten. Oh, yeah. Look at Michigan. Look at Ohio State. They don't just have one guy. It's not just Blake Corum. It's Edwards. It's not just Henderson at Ohio State. It's Williams as well. So I don't have a problem with being one-two, but I, I do like Nebraska's options going one-two-three. And, and Gary, with that in mind, the fact that college football is moving to more of a, a two-headed system, and that's not just college football. That's the NFL as well. That's how football as a whole is moving. I think a lot of people had that running back battle as one of the most interesting going into fall camp. Do you still feel that way one way one week into fall camp that that running back battle is one to watch for? Which position battle are you still watching as fall camp moves on as being well, of paramount I, I importance? I don't think they consider it a battle at running back because both are going to play. Mm-hmm. But they, I mean, I get the feeling that Gabe Irvin, Gabe Irvin is went into camp as number one. Um, I, I think there's some other spots like tight end. There's options at tight end, but we don't know anything about him. We don't know if Gilbert's going to be eligible. We want Fedoni to stay healthy. Borkashire is the most consistent guy at tight end. But after that, you go, hmm. And remember, you've had a little bit of a coaching change there. So even though you've probably upgraded in terms of experience at Division One level, it's still you gotta you got to be concerned about that. Um, I, I think we got our indication from Corcoran the other day that Ben Hart's going to start at the tackle spot. I think you got to solidify Teddy Prohaska. Can Teddy stay healthy? And can Teddy get to the level that we think he can be at? So that's a position that is up in the air. Um, and then on the other side of the ball, I mean, now with the departure of Farmer, and, you know, Farmer was running with the twos and the threes in the spring. And, yes, Miles Farmer started 11 games, but the same issue he had last year that we talked about, he had this year in terms of speed. So what does the safety position look like? Is Malcolm Hartsog more valuable as a safety or as a cornerback? If you pair him with Newsom, you got Newsom Hartsog on the corners. But, boy, I like, and I know, Mark, you love the guy, Schmitty, as well. I like Hartzog as a safety. So I think mm-hmm. in the back end how that safety is going to play out from Brown to Singleton to Hill to what they decide with Gifford is pretty fascinating. Yeah, he's a he's Mathal-like, right? Type, yep. Like yep. He's that kind of just really versatile piece, doesn't have the size, but, you know, he can hit and he can cover. He can do all, you know, wherever you want to put him in the defensive backfield, he'll excel. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's an interesting one. And Gary, we were talking uh, before you came on with Brandon, just going to um, just going to Fan Day last year, and I was I was just or last week, I was just struck by how many scholarship options you have at defensive back. Yeah, um, it feels like I don't know if this is true, but I, it feels like it's probably the most scholarship options, and this is even after Farmer's departure that you've had in a while. It just seems like Nebraska is not going to be as reliant at, on walk-ons as maybe they've been in the past. A guy that I'm curious about, um, and we've talked about him on this show. We've subtweeted him a little yeah. bit, but Tommy Hill, yeah, you know he made he made business decisions when it came to tackling last year, and that's why he didn't see the field. Period. Right? Just you know, uh, it's not that he wasn't capable, yeah. but he, you know, he he was just not in, he he had that Lamar Jackson thing going on <laughs> where he just like he wasn't interested in hitting. He, he just wasn't. But you see him up close and physically, he stands out amongst that very impressive athletic group as like the the best specimen yeah. on that on that entire group. Do you feel like he is going to get 
Do, do you feel like maybe he's because it's a mentality shift that he has to make more than yeah. anything? It's yeah. nothing to do with physical. It's mentality. Well, don't you think last year? I mean, talk about a guy that's had a roller coaster of a career in Nebraska from transferring from Arizona State to is he going to play? Then in the middle of the year, he's on the other side of the ball and he really doesn't play. And then he's back on the other side of the ball. He's a very confident yeah. person that I thought last year, Travis Fisher and him kind of butted heads. T. Fish would mm-hmm. say, we, we, we know what you can do. How come you can't do it? And <laughs> I, I, I think there were times where he lost his confidence and then he started to, he started to blame the coaches. So they were mm-hmm. like, okay, this guy's a great athlete. I don't want him over here on this side of the ball. Okay, you guys take him and find a place for him. And I, I think he got a new lease on life with the new coaching staff. And I sense that confidence is back. I mean, I'm, I'm waiting to see him because I think he's an incredible athlete. Um, but he's a guy that's got to play. I'll give you another guy on this defensive back conversation. And it's really, really early. And I don't know what the level will be, how much he will play. But keep an eye on Dwight Boodle. Really? DiCaprio Boodle's brother, they mm-hmm. like a lot. He's got some learning to do, but I wouldn't be surprised if he finds a way onto the field um, at some point this year where he's out there in a key situation. He's a guy to watch. But back to Tommy Hill, I, I think they need Tommy Hill to be in the mix. But there's also Singleton. You know, yeah. He's still around. And then the other guy, probably the guy, and, 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 and you guys can answer this, probably the guy that in the defensive backfield that might be the most important because it could solidify a spot is Omar Brown. Mm-hmm. And what do we yeah. what do we know about Omar Brown? I thought Omar Brown was one of the worst players in college football against Northwestern last year in Dublin. And then later in the year, I thought, man, there's a guy that if you stick with it, he can help you. We give you one more name to look out for, just from the eye just from the eyeball test. Uh, again, from Fan Day, right? I was <laughs> I was in front of them for all. How many, autog- how many autographs did you get, Craig? No, a better question yeah. is, did you sign Malachi Coleman's autograph board for the kids? Is your John Hancock on there? I did not. My son did. <laughs> yeah. uh, we got he was invited. Yes. It, it was good. Your son signed uh, players' uh, little uh, name tags, and you got pictures yeah. with the cheerleaders. It was cool. <laughs> I love your. I love your Instagram. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> he, he, he was he he was happy to oblige. You're like, you sign mine. He's like, yeah, give me a marker. I got you. Um, so, the the other guy that stands out just from the eyeball test, uh, true freshman Ramir Stewart. He looks like a 35 year old man. I, like he looked like the oldest guy on, at that table and he's a true freshman i mean he is a physically developed that dude looks scary he really does um and i, I don't know if that'll translate to to this year or anything like that but he he was he definitely stood out you too. know what so this is i mean we don't want to go all fan day on this but that is a great <laughs> observation don't you guys notice you know, yeah, like we were at we were Big Ten Media Day, Schmitty, and the Ohio State and Michigan guys always look older than anybody else. Whether <laughs> well, they're, whether they're they, juniors or seniors, they always look older the way they're built. There are, you're right, there are some freshmen like Prince Will and Lenhart. When they showed up in the spring, you went, man, there's not a lot of people at Nebraska that age look like that. Now you're noticing there's some dudes that have come into the program. And you go, that guy looks different. Just when mm-hmm. people see. Eric or Eric Gilbert, that guy doesn't. That's what that's what an SEC player looks like. MJ Sherman, that's what an SEC player <laughs> looks like. There are some guys that are coming in as a freshman that kind of have that look, and you go, hmm, okay, because a lot of the freshmen that have come into Nebraska 
look like these baby-faced kids that it takes a couple of years for them to grow up, not grown-ass men that you see right away. Well, like, yeah, Gary, to your point, like, kind of reminds me of that scene from uh, the Bench Warmers where you have that 40-year-old Dominican yeah. pitcher and he's got the $20 <laughs> bill. I am 12. That's kind of what some of these freshmen look like this year. Yeah, yeah I, Jason Machacek looks like my uncle. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Well, I think there's something to be said about that. You know, guys that come in and physically they look like they're ahead of the curve. Um, you know, I mean, look at look at every time you see an Alabama guy interviewed. Don't you think? <laughs> right. How how are you? How are you in college? You look like you're in your 30s. You want to ask him, Vietnam you, tats. Yeah. Yeah. You want to ask him, were you able to refinance a few years ago uh, <laughs> with your mortgage? And do you like your minivan? I mean, but no, that that's important, though. Can you get can you get guys? Jeff Sims, are, another one that are a little bit more physically mature to come in. I mean, is your starting point going to be greater in how much development do you have to invest, right? They're going to develop. Well, so we, I had this discussion yesterday on my show and a little bit had to do with Gilbert and you know, everybody yeah. wants to say, Hey, who's going to be the first guy off the bus? Well, <laughs> when does Nebraska get to the point that the first guy off the bus is actually the guy that's driving the bus? You know, if you go back to, and you referenced Billy Madison earlier, Chris Farley was driving the bus, but Chris Farley, you didn't want him to be the first guy off the bus. No. <laughs> oh, I've stopped it. Okay. So everybody has said for years, man, Damian. Turn this damn thing yeah. around right now. Damian, by the way, one of the more underrated little parts that Chris Farley ever did. Doesn't, doesn't okay. get talked about as much. Okay. But everybody for the longest time said, hey, man, I want Damian Jackson being the first guy off the bus. But we never said, I want Damian Jackson driving the bus. When does Nebraska get to the first guy off the bus is actually the guy that's driving the bus? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Nebraska's mm-hmm. Kelly Leak. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> hey, real quick, back back to running back and speaking of physically impressive, is all right, Gabe Irvin. I God, is he just is he the just the practice all star? Oh, like, you know I, what you, I mean? You, you like every like coach. Him. You do no, not well, like but him. Here's, no, 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 no. Listen, listen, listen. I hope it works out. Like I, I'm, I'm never rooting against any of these guys. Um, but, you know, he he has impressed each staff each year. You know, he's just like, wow, he's so good. And he, he gets to the top of the heap and then he gets in games and it doesn't happen. Right. So, it's just like so, it doesn't happen. So let me ask you, I, I'm, I'm not fighting back here against you. Where do you remember where your opinion was on him when he first got started at Nebraska before the injury against Oklahoma? Weren't you fairly high on him? No. Okay. I, I was I was intrigued by him. Okay. I was like, oh, I got this freshman that's coming in and he's taking over. Like, wow, he must be really something. But then name name the awesome run that he well, had. Last year was a little rough. Cause he was still coming back from, I mean, that was a major knee injury Big and, and I don't know that they had full confidence in him, but I think the, the new staff came in and like, that's one of the first players Marcus Satterfield identified when they were watching actually practice tape. And they that's were like, how, how come this? Well, because there about was, practice. There was, that was just the first, some of the first tape they started to watch. And so then they, watched, then they watched his game cut up. <laughs> <laughs> right, and they're like, "There's a big gap there." Well, yeah, it but is. but I don't. So I far, don't, here, here's the thing. I don't think they would. They have been all in on him since November 28th, and I don't think they would go that deep without them having a belief that he's going to be one of the better running backs in the Big Ten this year. 
Because it's not, not, sure just, it's it's not like passing, yeah. hey, we got Gabe Irvin. They have gone all in. Now, Gabe has taken the baton and is trying to run away with it. You look what he did to his body. I mean, they oh, put out a picture yeah. yesterday, and he's making a jump cut, and you see that he's got every muscle except for the football, you know, having muscles. Um, I, I, I think you will. I think he's the kind of guy they believe can be on the field for all three downs. Now, he's, he's in prove-it mode. I'm with you. But I just – he gets a lot of pushback, and I'm just – I always ask the question, why? I think it's just because when you go back to Rex, you go back to Amir, you go back to uh, – God, the guy last year that just transferred to AJ Allen. Oh, why do I AJ Allen. AJ Allen? It's just like those guys jump off the page immediately, and like in the games, Irvin's got all the measurables. He's got obviously the dedication. He's got the right mentality. The coaches like like he has a lot of positives. I'm not trying to yeah. kill the guy here. I'm just saying, you, I, I just haven't seen that thing where you're like, ooh, well, well, wow, Mark, like, that okay. was something. Can, can I throw this right? back at, at you, Mark, and ask you the question of of Do you think that Gabe Irvin's style as a running back ever really meshed up with what Nebraska had in the offensive line over the past couple of seasons because you think about what his I mean he's a he's a yeah. three yards in a cloud of dust kind of guy he's, he's a bruiser he's gonna yeah. put his head down Nebraska's offensive line wasn't the the type that was excelling at running the football inside over the past couple of years that's and, fair. And people talk no, about that's fair people talk about uh, yeah. Anthony Granton his well he always wanted to balance it outside if him hit the first level well what did he have at the first level it was a a, a scrum <laughs> a rugby scrum on the inside to put it lightly and sometimes you got to yeah. make the most out of nothing and cut it outside and see what you have out there because there's nothing inside I am also with you Mark I think it's prove it time for Gabe Irvin and if yeah, the coaching staff is, is seeing his praises, I'm excited to see what he can do on the field this year. But I don't so, think his style ever quite lined up with what Nebraska was able so, to do with their five offensive linemen in the past two seasons. I, I agree with that. So he's got his first year, he had 37 carries under his belt. Remember last year, he also had turf toe. So, and also, I don't think, I don't think Apple White bought into him. I, I, don't no. think, I, I don't think Apple White saw him as a guy that could run inside zone, um, you know, could be good between the tackles. And I think you got a new position coach that identifies him and said, you're going to be a guy that I don't want to see you bouncing it outside all the time. I want to see you between the tackles. And I think he's latched onto that. Now, I will tell you this. After talking to Gabe in the summer, um, he knows that he's under the gun. He knows that this might be the last dance for him because he has gotten this new lease on life where coaches have invested in him, and he has taken it, and he has hung at the top of the running back room he knows that there's a lot of eyes on him, and he's got to go out there and prove it because if he doesn't prove it here, his time probably in Nebraska is done. So he, he is clearly aware of that, and I think he has grabbed onto that on the field and then off the field if you look how he has gone about his business in terms of weights. But a position coach I think will benefit greatly and is, to Elijah's point, an OC that will put him in a better position than last year and saying, quit bouncing things outside. You're going to be a guy between the tackles. You can also bounce it outside, but we want you inside as well. Guys, I love the, the fact that he and – sorry, real quick, Chris. He and Anthony Grant went to the same high school. That's just <laughs> – that's absurd. You know, Grant no, it, started and, and, and Irvin replaced him. Like, it's crazy. No, I think, I think the confidence factor to, to, to put a bow on, on this real quick is – is huge. I think it, it speaks volumes to kind of how the, the vibe he's given off with how he's had to battle back from injury. I mean, that, that we, Elijah, we were down at Oklahoma for that and mm. it's just gruesome where your yeah. legs go out from under you. 
And then you have the turf toe to your point, Sharpie. I mean, that that's that sucks to even think about, let alone try and carry the football with it. And no, I I have I've seen that burst, and I and I want to see him full go, right, Sharpie, with that prove it mode where you've got the the physicality, but I think he's got the the burst, the speed to have a nice uh, hybrid of of you know fast and powerful, and you know what. Uh, with the offensive line coming along, you'll see the best there is of of Gabe Irvin. And and he wants it, man. And he said yeah. it as, as much after yeah. practice. I don't want a committee. I want to be the guy. So we'll see all if right. he can follow through with it. I know we're up against it. I'm going to ask a question for all three of you guys. Nebraska hasn't had a 1,000-yard rusher since Ozigbo did it in 2018. 1,082 yards. If Nebraska has a 1,000-yard rusher this year, who is it? And why does Nebraska have a thousand yard rusher? Man, uh, we were talking about how many yards does your running back room need a few weeks back. I, if they can, I still like, if I'm picking the guy I like best that, that kind of jumps off the screen to me, I like Grant. And I know that, I know that there's a lot of work that needs to be done, but I just love his combination uh, of, that, that home run ability. So I think that's yeah. who I picked to get the grand. And I think Gabe is right there to do 700 or better with his role. And I think with Ramir, he can come in and, and probably pop you for, I don't know, a few carries. Vogue's told us that uh, the running backs were averaging about 12 to 13 attempts under the Satterfield offense. So it's going to be spread around with the, the different roles. But I think mm-hmm. Ramir's more of your – uh, catch and run combo, but I, I like I like Grant. I want to see if Grant uh, can can kind of wow all year long, and, and then Irvin's obviously that second punch. And, and to give you a non-committal answer, Gary, and I apologize for this. <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> I, I think that thousand-yard rusher, who that guy is going to be, or who that guy could potentially be. We're going to find out through the course of the first two or three games who the hot hand is going to be, who's able to tote the rock with success against Minnesota, against Colorado. I, I think this is a battle in terms of who's going to be the starter that's going to go into this season. I think you need to see some something from these guys in the field as the offense meshes as well. But I think your numbers, if you get a guy that's 1,000 yards, a guy that's 500 yards, and a guy that's 250 yards, I think that's a recipe for success, and I think you have the potential. And if we're laying out Schmitty's, if Grant's 1,000, you can bring in Gabe Irvin to be that bruiser on some, some third and short, some second and short type situations. And you got Ramir Johnson, a scat back, who's going to get some carries as well and, and be a threat in the passing game. I think that's your breakdown. If you have 1,500 and 250 from your three top backs, I think that's a recipe for success in the Big Ten. I, look, I think, uh, I think Gabe Irvin is, is Spence. I think he's a power guy, right? <laughs> and I think Grant is Crawford. He's got more tools. Mm, and nice. so I think, I think it's going to be Irvin to kind of start games. He'll do okay. They'll bring in Grant. Grant's going to be getting stuff done at the second level. They'll stick with him longer. If Nebraska builds a lead, they'll bring in Irvin to close the thing out. That's how I think most games are going to end up going. If, Grant just gives you something yeah. extra. If Nebraska has a 1,000-yard rusher this year, they also have a first-team All-Big Ten offensive lineman. Mm. Yeah. yeah. That could be Scott. I, I like Nuri. Be, I like Nuri. Yeah, it could be Nuri. Yeah, don't count out Nuri. Those Germans. Well, I, mean, I, think, what. I mean, let's not forget. <laughs> let's not forget. If you go back a couple of seasons, he's the second best offensive lineman on that team, aside from Cam Jurgens. Cam Jurgens yeah, is yeah. by far and away the top, but Nuri was was right in that second you're spot. You're right. We, we steroids we, helped, but you know. 
Wow. Jesus. Wow. He got suspended for it. I don't come on. What are you, no, you know, suspended it, for it. He, 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 got, he got suspended for something that was never officially out there. And it's yeah, we, we don't know what it was. Enhancing drugs. What are, are you also going to blame this whole country for bombing Pearl Harbor? I mean, <laughs> listen, hell I, no. He <laughs> should feel a little hey, guilty. No, in all, in all honesty, the timing of when his suspension came down last year screwed that offensive line. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Big time. That was that was in the middle of June. Yeah. I mean, it, guys, you're talking about PED. Like, what? It was. St- I mean, what else is it? Acid? No. 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 Well, Shrooms? there's 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 different. You back to your Oregon. Hey, everything's legal as we kick this thing off with the big dead expansion. Uh, no, there's different things. Like, I'm not saying I know what it is, but I'm not going to say it was pincushion time. You know, you you, you can take pills that there's a, a banned substance in the pill right i mean he, we, I don't he made it for the whole year and he made a mistake and I, and and it's a selfish one he took a supplement that was not allowed he's got to pay for it he did last year fortunately there's a spot still for him and he's a guy that's got a chip on his shoulder to say man i'm sorry for last year i'm gonna make mm-hmm. up for it so he's a guy but i think at the end of the day this is me. Ben Scott will be your best offensive lineman, and that's okay to have your center as your best offensive lineman. Yes. We'll take that. We'll take mm-hmm. that. Okay. I'm, I'm all in on Ben Scott. I think he's going to be so vital at that position because since Juergens, and even before Juergens, you know, center has been a revolving door. We've always oh, wondered, okay. hey, could Piper yeah. slide down there and play? Where's right. Paul Thurston? If you have a guy that comes in and could be a couple-year starter at center and solidify that spot – Man, look what Cam Jurgens did, but the rest around him wasn't as good. I think the collection of linemen around Ben Scott is better than when Jurgens was here, and I think Ben Scott will help those guys uh, along the way. I, I think as we see the year goes along, Ben Scott will turn out to be Nebraska's best offensive lineman. Hmm. Totally agree. Okay. Sharpie, okay. swing the clubs, get some birdies this weekend. All right. I will. Uh, I will try. It's uh, it's hard to believe, man. We're four weeks from today. We're going to be discussing no. what happened Thursday night in Minneapolis. Oof. I know. Are you hey, are you sticking good. around? Are you sticking around for Pearl Jam out there, Gary? Are you going? I uh, I will not be sticking around for Pearl Jam. No. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I was gonna say I don't have anyone to sit with because somebody ditched me on the sweet tickets. No. But, you know. Oh wow. Ooh. Listen, Ooh, I didn't anybody ditch anybody out. Oh, it's Mark. He's gonna admit to it. I did not ditch it. I didn't even procure the tickets. My friend got the tickets. Uh-huh. He got uh-huh. two tickets. All right. Uh-huh. Well, hey, but there is the the thing with everything that went on yesterday and last week. It will be nice. We're about to have football. Uh, the one yeah. thing I don't like, this is August is football. We're supposed to talk about football, not about conference realignment. So get out the way. Let's get back to our football and let's play in less than four weeks. Can I propose a quick little overtime segment? Just a quick right. one. Well, we're in five minutes of overtime. We're like soccer. Go USA. Yeah, yeah exactly. We're plus four. We don't know when this thing's going to end. You know, just whenever the ref well, comes out and blows some away. of us have some of us have tea times. Elijah, so. <laughs> Elijah went down a little bit, so that's our injury time. He disappeared yeah. from the camera and then he came back. So yeah, same. And they sprayed the um, magic spray on me, and I was all good. <laughs> okay, so, okay. So four new additions, right, to the Big Ten yeah. so far. There's going to be more: USC, UCLA, Oregon, Washington. Which sport outside of football just got infinitely better? For the Big Ten, which sport outside of football just got infinitely better 
I think you got to go baseball. Of. I think you got to go baseball or softball, don't you? I, I would go volleyball. baseball, and then I looked up, and yes, and volleyball's historically yeah. yes, historically yes, but Oregon was, I believe, the only other school in the top twenty-five in the in the closing rankings for for baseball. Okay, so volleyball's it. Volleyball is going to be gnarly. Well, let's yeah. also, let's also be clear. Do you know how much of a step up it is to add one top 25 team to the Big Ten in baseball? That is a monumental step up to even have a top 25 team. Well, here's the thing. I think hoops. You've got to hopefully, hopefully adding Oregon and Washington, two teams that have parentally been in the NCAA tournament. And Oregon got to a super <laughs> this year where they got beat by ORU is you are you are going to need the conference to commit to baseball as much as these new schools are. Mm. USC is building a new baseball stadium. UCLA has won a national championship in the last decade plus. So if the Big Ten office can match the enthusiasm for baseball, then we're headed somewhere. But volleyball is the one. And I know that Tom brings up track. I mean, your conference championship probably is going to the incredible facility Haywood Field out in Oregon. Yeah, but volleyball would be my number one. Checking out the track Vo- rankings. Here. Yeah, volley volleyball. By the way, um, it is uh, volleyball is going to be good. If you win the conference, they might as well hand you the NCAA championship. Mm-hmm. Vic, mm-hmm. our dear friend from uh, Vic from Denver. It's not OT when you show up on uh, radio time. We show we up were, five minutes late. We go five minutes long, baby. We we yeah, were exactly. We were. Yeah. All ready to go at 7.45, I think. And then we went at 7.50. Ish. Yeah, we were just, okay, we had to huddle. We had to huddle. But, yeah. no, I like the question, Craynack. Satterfield's wish. Yeah. Satterfield's wish. Tribute but, the huddle. I, I think, historically, though, I, I think the biggest boost, so uh, to me it's hoops, though, right? Really? Like UCLA, uh, we're gonna obviously, have a, Oregon, I think obviously. We're, we're going to have real trouble in Nebraska watching games in Eugene. Are we properly prepared for that floor? No, oh, nuts. That floor I'm just glad just to see Dana terrible. again, though, man. Yeah, I yeah. mean, I mean, Dana finally get to coach at PBA, huh? <laughs> That's right. And and you know you got you got Bronny in at SC. Yeah. Well, and I, I, uh, but I, well, and who knows about Bill Walton? I don't know who gets him. I want him I, doing I big long term. I think long term, though, you said it though, baseball. I think that will be the biggest boon for the Big Ten. They far. needed it, they needed and I, I think I they they've they haven't been great lately. The the Pac-12 in, in baseball, I haven't been great. Um, it's all southeast. The base baseball is just mm-hmm. in the southeast. Well, here, but long term, I think it's going to really help. Okay, my my final thought because I know we got to get off uh, the bandwidth is the Big Ten now can go coast to coast. Right? They are going to be next year. They're going to have three major platforms. They could be going football from 11A to 11P. Yep. The SEC hasn't done anything, which is scary because they just kind of been sitting there and nobody has said a word. Nobody at any of those schools has talked about expansion this week. Nothing. Yeah. It's time to win. Guys, since 2007, football and men's basketball, the Big Ten has won one national championship, Ohio State in 2014. During the same time period, just those two sports – the SEC is one nineteen. It's yep. time. It's time to win. It's you've got you've got everything in place. It's now time for the Big Ten and the two major sports to win championships. Mm. 
Absolutely. SEC is going to snap up Clemson, Florida State, Miami, a couple others. That's what's going to happen. That's what I think. It's they're, they're more philosophically aligned. And then and, and then I think Big Ten snaps up North Carolina, Georgia Tech. You know, no, like I think that. the Big Ten they'll they'll find a way for Miami and get me Notre Dame. Get me hey, twenty that we, way. We, we can't quit Notre Dame. This has been going no. on for twenty years. I mean, there could be a world war breakout, and Notre Dame would be like Poland or Switzerland. They would yeah. choose neutrality. Okay, <laughs> so we can't quit Notre and, Dame and claim victory. <laughs> but 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 everybody says, oh, Notre Dame's going to go to the conference. Well, the ACC missed a huge opportunity in 2020 when they gave Notre Dame a lifeline during the COVID year to come play some football games in the conference instead of saying, you better bring your whole dang program in this conference or you ain't playing football in 2020. They missed out on that opportunity. Why would Notre Dame join a conference? They've got the brand. No, They've got a TV either. network that will pay them. Now, will it pay them what they want after the contract ends in 25? And also they got another lifeline with the playoff, which said you do not have to win a conference to be in the playoff that there can be – Wild cards. Notre Dame's in a great spot. I don't know yeah. why. We need at some Maybe point too. we need to quit Notre Dame and, and thinking yeah. that they're coming to the Big Ten, even though they would align with the Big Ten more than any other conference in America. And, and I don't think you rule out Stanford, by the way. For, I think from a football standpoint, eh, but I, academically yeah. and then all other sports. Yeah, no, they're, 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 they have like in the Sears Cup, Learfield Cup, whatever they call exactly. it. Yes. But. Yep. There, there's no appeal there because it seems like they're always attached to California. I wouldn't be surprised if Stanford football kicks the tires on being independent for football only. Yep. I think, I I think you're right. They, and they could, they could do that. They have a, I mean, God, every single website that's ever launched has roots in Stanford. I mean, they, they have so yeah. much money. Uh, yeah, I can see that. Hmm. Sharpie, enjoy your weekend, brother. Thanks for the all time. Right. This was fun, Thanks, man. Uh, all right. So Let's doesn't keep the, talking. Let's ruin these tea times. Doesn't the official go like that on soccer when the half is over? Yes. That, he that, might. That, that's halftime. And then full-time. Yeah. Isn't, yeah. Okay. So It's also that, a TFL. And it's also what you would like to see a lot of uh, four weeks from Thursday night. Absolutely. Extreme team, baby. All right. Thanks, guys. Talk to you next yeah, week. The there, bones. there he is. Okay. There Godspeed. Gary you Shaw. got a tea time, Chris? Is that right? I, I, I do, yes. What so time? Does, so does Elijah. Oh, what time are you guys going? Well, he's going. I'm going at 11. Uh, I think Schmidt's at 12. Yep. At oh, noon. you guys are fine. Oh, I have Why work to do after to... this show. I have podcast work to do. I have to get this thing up on YouTube. I have things I need to do between now and then, okay? You got you, you to figure out how to use AI, dude. Like, come on. Just Fair AI enough. should be able to automate it. Like, you just tell it what to do, put it into chat GPT, bust out these files. You're over here doing manual work still? I thought you were like the young, innovative one. He is, and he's what not turned it? the keys over to AI, so if we left it to AI, AI would be like, we're not posting this. Listen, <laughs> I know. Well, we can't be threatened by the AI, guys. It's not going anywhere, all right? We've we got to embrace it. you got to learn how to leverage it. And so, I don't Taking know. notes right now. Yeah. All right. Good. We'll be back at you on Monday, and we'll hear from Coach McBride, his thoughts. As uh, we uh, get closer to Nebraska, Minnesota, Mark Cradak, Elijah Herbal, Chris Schmidt signing off. Talk to you next time with Hale Varsity. Hey, thanks for all the comments today, too. A lot of good comments today. Huh? That was good. Bless you all. <laughs>